G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. So my afternoon, oh my morning and my afternoon, we're uh, watching Esther play footy and uh, very exciting. They beat Strath for the first time. Both, it was the first time in the history of McLaren that the under-16s or under-17s have beaten the under-16s or under-17s from Strath. So that's a big deal. Also the first time Strath's been defeated this year. Uh, so very, very exciting moments. Uh, and then she played in the A-grade women's and that went down to the final kick of the day. So it was a very strong wind and uh, McLaren were kicking with the wind in the last quarter, down by a few goals at the start of the quarter. Comes down to the final kick, so Strath are up by five points. And Sally, who's very close to my age, um, and his mum, and she snapped and kicked the ball in through the goals, and the team... It was a special kick. Um, and everyone's celebrating, just going off, and it's very exciting until the umpire does one of these. And if you know your footy, that means it was touched. It was not going to give the six points that they needed in order to win. In fact, it only gave one point. And so they lose by four points. Uh, and like I said, that was the last kick of the game. It was, it was all over. And it, and it went, went down to the wire. I've actually, I've, I've got it in my notes as well, just saying, stay with me. And I meant to say it. Like, if you're not into footy, just, just stay with me. Just, just try to go there. There's a, a cultural point that I'm hoping to make um, as we go through this. And, and one of the things, one of the reasons why I think our culture generally is more willing to go to things like the footy uh, than they are to come to something like church is that the result is unknown. There's something that's yet to be determined. And they're like, I get to go and witness this. And sure, for some people, they're like, I'm not going to bother rocking up to the footy because I know that there's going to be people that are running around. They're going to be kicking a ball, trying to score goals. Who cares? But for other people, it's like, who's going to kick the first goal? Like, who's going to be on fire today? Who's going to be off the boil? Just wanting to know those sort of details. And just depends on, you know, your personality and your, your interests. But we also see in other areas as well. Uh, we see where people just get so into movies. And you have a suspenseful movie and you just want to absorb all the details and ride that roller coaster of emotions. Um, and it's the worst thing in the world for someone to spoil it for you. Like if someone tells you what is going to happen in a thriller before you go to it, it just ruins absolutely everything. Uh, but then you have others who refuse to watch a game of football that they don't already know the result for. And so it's only when they're guaranteed, like, oh, yes, I know they're going to win this, and so now I'm going to watch it. Or they'll make sure that they know the plot of the movie before they actually watch it because of the emotional ups and downs that they're not willing to, to take. But most people, uh, it's more the other side of things. Like, they want that unknown element. They want something that's not yet 
determined. And it's interesting for us as the church. It's interesting for us how we've responded to that over the years. And the reality is we have so much choice at the moment with what we do with our time. There are so many options, so much entertainment. And you can see it in the church uh, that much of Western Christianity has tried to respond to the entertainment options that are available by trying to match it or at least go somewhere near uh, the level and the quality that you might see in, in, other, in other spaces. But I think we miss the point when we do things like that. For one, we're assuming that the Sunday service is the high point of Christianity. But I want to read to you the high point of Christianity. If you've got a Bible with you, would you open up to Revelation chapter 21? <laughs> Where are the Bibles? Quick, someone get the Bibles. Revelation chapter 21. It's all right, Scotty. You mentioned um, we pray first. You didn't mention that we learn from Scripture. But we do. We pray first and we learn from Scripture. So Revelation chapter 21. And I always encourage you to bring your own Bible. It's always good to do that. Revelation chapter 21. This is the high point. This is what we're looking forward to. And it's, it's an interesting thing because, yeah, this is a spoiler alert in that there's a, um, the, the end is written. The end is already written. And yet, if you ask, not everyone, but if you ask a fairly large portion of the Australian society of a dream they had when they were growing up, like take a classic Aussie boy, what would you love to do when you're older? And for a lot of them, there would be a sporting thing. And say so it is to play in the grand final. But for most of us, we realise at some point that's not going to happen that we play in an AFL grand final. And so what does the dream then become? So many Australians, and it's true of women, but it's true of more men than women, I'm pretty sure, it goes from wanting to play in an AFL grand final to what? To watch one. They want to actually just go. Like, what's a, what's a dream you've got? I'd love just to go to the MCG that last Saturday in September and be there and watch. I want to observe <laughs> what's going on in the grand final. We have this interesting thing. And we know what's going to happen. We know that there is one team that's going to hold that cup aloft. And since the 2010 farce of a grand final and the replay a week later, we now know that no one's going to leave until there is actually a winner that day. And so you know someone is going to win. And, um, but you, there's so many details that are already known. But there's this desire to be there to witness what is happening. Anyhow, let's have a read. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. 
because the previous things have passed away. Other translations say the old order has passed away. No more death or crying or mourning or pain. Imagine that. All gone. And we've just read because he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Permanently. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. It is gone. Verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Who is looking forward to drinking that? Seven of us. That is awesome. Maybe eight. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. Man, there's that um, recording of Jesus saying, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm looking forward to that drop, but I'm also looking forward to this. Also looking forward to drinking from this spring that he's talking about. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Things got real pretty quick just then, didn't it? Have a look at that list. The cowards faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Is there anyone in this room that could be in that list? Anyone here that based on something that you've done at some point in your life, clearly not this year, but still some point in your life that could fit you into one of those categories? That was more than seven or eight. Hmm. What's going on here? If we were, maybe we'll do it. Let's flick back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and it says this, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. So it's not exactly the same list, but it's a pretty similar vibe, right? And then these words. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Who fits in that category? Like by faith, we fit in that category. It is not a matter of what we have done, it's a matter of what He has done and what He has undone. The things that we did, that He has undone, that He has made new, that He has made right. And so... We flick back. Of course, you put a finger or a thumb back in Revelation 21, didn't you? So you were ready to return. It's, it's sobering. 
the cowards, faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we know that it is not based on our perfection that we are in the former category. It is only based on what he has done. Our only contribution is faith. So we believe in his offer and we receive it. We repent of going our own way and we receive from him. But it's cut and dried. It's one or the other. It's entering his kingdom or it's the lake of fire. I don't like the smell of sulfur that we have over the vines here. But it just gives us something of this that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had sell, sorry, who had held the seven bowls, I was anticipating the S from the seven, yeah, held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It's a beautiful picture. There is so much to look forward to. And I love the, um, the St. Kilda theme song, Oh, When the Saints. Oh, when the saints come marching in, how I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. How good to be there. How good to be in that new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, where, as we'll read later, there is no sun, there is no lamp in that place because God himself is our light. His radiance illuminates the whole place. Like that is what we get to look forward to. That is what is coming. And so when it comes to our desire to see this church filled, to see all the churches in this district filled, our strategy is not let's be more entertaining. Our strategy is not how can we make what happens here for a Sunday gathering good competition for a concert or for a festival or for whatever else. Now, it's not an excuse for me to just be whatever when I preach. I've got a master class in a couple of weeks' time that I just booked. You know, I want to get better with my preaching. We want to do better in every area of what we do, but the point is not that we put on a show. The point is not that, you know, even we have this phrase that is, you know, used a fair bit, like, that'll preach. Has anyone ever heard anyone say to a phrase, oh, that'll preach? Has anyone heard that before? Like, that's a killer, like that is such a good phrase, that'll preach. It's as though the high point of any truth is for it to be conveyed from a pulpit and people to get excited about it. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. Come on, <laughs> let me hear it, let me hear it. I, we get confused about the whole purpose of what we're doing. It's not about competing 
with the world. It's about offering the world a drink they can't find anywhere else. The thirsty, like you will never thirst again. Anyone who drinks from the water that I give them, said Jesus, will never thirst again. We're not trying to produce better lemonade than what the world has. We're not trying to produce better whatever than what the world has. We have something that is totally other and totally different. And let's offer it unapologetically. So our first mistake is that we think that Christianity is a church service. And it is not. Second one is that we forget that we are born to contribute. And our church services so easily become, I remember hearing Francis Chan talk about why he walked away from a mega church. And it's such a beautiful story. Like he started at a church in his living room and it grew and grew and grew. And it's like 5,000. And then he like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he's like, it felt like everyone's rocking up on a Sunday in order to appreciate one person using their gift rather than people gathering to all celebrate the gifts that God had given. Christianity is so much more than a church service, and we are all contributors. We all have something to give. And what is so tragic, someone has said it, that you know the, the MCG, a game of footy, it is 42 people, 44 people, running around a field desperately in need of a rest, being watched by 100,000 people desperately in need of exercise. We need to get in the game. If the high point for so many people my age is to be there and watch an AFL grand final or go to Wimbledon and watch the tennis, we're just missing out on life. Like we are delegating risk. We are delegating any sense of opportunity to contribute to others. And I say this next part because I've experienced it myself. I bet there are so many more people more nervous than Roger Federer as he's serving to stay in the match. People that are watching going, oh, please get in, please get in. He's not freaking out. I hope I actually get the serve in. But we are so accustomed to not taking risks ourselves that when we're watching someone else take a risk, it's freaking us out. And we also think that the only people that can take risks are the super talented who are getting paid exorbitant amounts of money. We need to be taking risks every day. We need to be ready to fail. We need to be ready to have something not work out quite right. And it's just normal. We're taking risks. This could go wrong, but I'm stepping out. I'm doing it again and again and again. We were born to contribute. We have something and let us be participants. Let's not delegate our risk-taking. And insurance has its place, but I think the quote goes something like this uh, from a wise lady I know, that uh, if you insure stuff, you are betting that you lose. And if you lose, you win. Is that about right? If you don't lose, you lose. That's right. If you don't lose, you lose. Yeah. So insuring is betting you're going to lose. And if you don't lose... You lose. 
That'll preach. On your lucky. <laughs> but we're in this culture where, and it's, it's not that insurance in and of itself is a bad thing, but it's just a, our, obse- our obsession with insurance says a lot about our culture. And we just want to make sure everything's going to be okay. With this desperation, everything has to be okay. I need to know that things are going to be okay. But another thing that I've noticed in myself is um, things like footy. Like, I've made a decision when I'm watching a game of footy. Like, I watched the Crows game last night. I probably got into it more than I've got into footy for a little while. Um, and I've got hope for the Crows. I've got hope. Um, and it's um, the decision I made was I'm not going to just sit and watch the whole game. So if I'm sitting, like I'm, a, I'm a tragic for this sort of stuff. Um, it's so easy for me just to sit and just to watch the whole thing and get into it at quarter time and half time, whatever. I'm like, if I'm going to watch the footy, I'll watch some of it and then I'll turn it off. So at the break time, turn it off, go to something else, come back, and it's very rare to turn it off before the next quarter has started. Um, So I'm going to come in and then it's like a few minutes in or whatever. Um, And the shift that it makes for me is it takes my focus off of this being everything in the moment because I had a really scary moment in, I think it was 2010, 20, 2009, 2010. Um, so let's go with 2010 because I reckon it was when yeah, Hudson was, was really little. Um, and the Crows lost a final, definitely to Collingwood. Um, and in the moment, like it came down to a free kick being given and I just had a moment like when they lost that game or when the free kick was given and it was obvious that they were likely to lose it, I just lost it. Like... In that moment, I don't recall what happened. Um, and a big mess. No, it wasn't a big mess or anything like that. I don't think I actually did anything. But just in that moment, I was so frustrated and so angry. And it hit me about an hour later. I'm like, I'm so glad I wasn't holding Hudson in that moment. I'm like, I'm a bit too into this. Just walk away, walk away, step back. But it's easy for, for things, whatever the thing is, to become an obsession for us and a thing to become everything. And for me in that moment to go, oh, the Crows have to get on so they can win this and they can win a flag. And I, who cares? Seriously, what does it matter if the Crows win the premiership this year? What is that going to change? Like in terms of eternity, in terms of this stuff, like I'm not saying don't care about the footy, but I'm saying let's care about this more. Let's care about this more than we care about any of these other things that this would actually matter and would move me. And like one of the things that fasting helps with is that it shifts us. This is a really small and insignificant example for most of you, but it matters for me. So I deleted a bunch of, um, and I say bunch, it was probably two or three. I actually had two or three cricket apps on my phone just to look at stats for cricket, like when games are on and stuff. It's very sad, I know, but go with me on this. So I deleted those. I thought I deleted the AFL Live app um, and I decided I wasn't going to reinstall um, that come uh, footy season. I uh, wasn't going to reinstall the cricket apps, but I was like, definitely won't for the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, and then I discovered about two weeks ago that I didn't actually delete the AFL Live app from my phone. And here's the win. It was on my phone... And I didn't use it. I didn't even know it was there. 
And so I had a period of time where something that would be a go-to for me, I didn't use. And the rest of the story is not so good because when I discovered it was there, I have been using it a bit since. But <laughs> it hasn't been to the same level. Like, it's not something that I'm on very often at all. Um, but it's just a simple thing to say. When we fast from something, when we find that something is taking the place of the ultimate thing, let's lay it aside. And sometimes we're going to lay it aside completely in order to be able to get back into something. I want to illustrate this with a story of a time where I was just clueless. When I turned 20, the year I turned 20, my dad started managing a vineyard uh, not too far from here and uh, he started employing a bunch of my friends. Um, So I was working there part-time and uh, one friend actually went on to become his career and it worked out really well for him. Most people was just sort of at uni, there was a job that they did, little bits and it was good fun hanging out with my mates and there was this one guy, Jason, who lived next door to the property that dad was managing Um, and he ended up working for dad full time. So he's about my age and then one of my other friends said to me, um, and I would have known Jason for a good couple of months at this point and he's like, oh I've been chatting to Jason about Jesus and like he's really interested and just this moment I was like it hadn't even crossed my mind to share the gospel with this guy, Jason. Hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, but when he said it, it was probably more competition than anything else, if I'm really honest. Um, but I started sharing with Jason. And he came along to, to youth. Um, and one night at youth, he made a decision to follow Jesus. Um, and then at small group, um, I baptized him. And it was in that process that I found out that you have to be ordained. Uh, within the United Church uh, in order to baptise someone or have a special permission. Um, but, yeah, that's right. So definitely won that competition with my friend. Um, but the, it's, it's amazing how easy it is for us to miss golden opportunities and miss things that are right under our nose because we're just not thinking that way. And something else has our attention, something else has us consumed to the detriment of what matters most. A few years back, um, I heard about this thing, which has got some similarities to 2 for 2 for 22, uh, which we've started doing. Um, and it was, it was called 5 by 5 by 365. I won't give you all the details of what it involved, um, but I, can, I bet you know the time frame. Um, so I started praying for these five people um, and made a commitment to pray for them every day. And there's a few other things we're doing as well. Um, and I was just chatting a few weeks ago with my cousin who was one of those five people um, and heard the story from him for the first time because I knew he'd come to faith. I started praying for him and I started texting him and stuff and a bit more to do with him and I knew that he'd come to faith soon after that but it certainly wasn't anything direct, you know, from conversations that we'd had Um, and he was living up in Darwin and I was down here Um, and yeah, I got to hear from him a few weeks ago of how things unfolded. And it was a conversation with a friend and it would have been just a few months after I started praying for him every day. And out of those five that I prayed for, two of them came to faith and both of them within that first year came to faith. And for neither of those people was I directly involved in leading them to Christ or even having those significant kind of conversations that you think might lead to that. It was starting to make contact with them again after not being in contact with them. So just text, really, um, and praying for them regularly. Two, within that first year, came to faith in Jesus. 
I want to show you um, a what-if scenario. So, Nick, would you um, prepare the slides? So, 2022, that is this year. Um, this is a what-if. So, I um, have a neighbour of mine that I'm, I'm praying for uh, every day. And I was challenged by Margot because she shared last week how she's setting a timer. So, this two for two for 22. The idea is that there's two people that we're praying for for two minutes every day. Um, and set a timer, do whatever's going to help you to remember to do that, but doing that regularly. And uh, Christy was introducing it, saying, you know, about two minutes kind of a thing. And Margot's like, no, two minutes. <laughs> and she's setting this timer and praying for a friend and just the difference that she'd noticed um, over the course of that week. Um, and I'd found myself um, just falling into that trap some of the time when I'm praying and just praying such a simple prayer, not engaging my heart. You know, we're told to pray in the Spirit at all times. And I don't think that means praying in tongues at all times. Praying in the Spirit at all times, I believe, is just praying, asking Him to work in and through us and reveal His heart through us and to us. And we pray differently when we're praying in the Spirit. There's a sense of passion, a sense of expectation of like, oh my goodness, something is going to happen as I'm praying for Him. And I was sharing with a few people before, but the cheesiest thing that's happened over this past week, because um, I, I sing to Eden, uh, Jesus loves me, but I changed the lyrics, so it's Jesus loves you. It's amazing, I know. Um, and so I sing that to her every night, and I just had this moment of like, whoa, how much does Jesus love her? Um, and just singing over her. And then I started singing it over my neighbor. Uh, so I knocked on his door. I'm kind of singing a song. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but literally, it's so cheesy, but just started singing it. And like, Lord, I want to have your heart for him. I want to see him as you do. And, you know, we can get a bit weird about the whole um, trying to convert someone thing. And I think we just missed the point. Like, I want to see my neighbor fully alive. Like, he is an amazing person. He's the most amazing neighbor to so many people. He helps out a whole bunch of people who are unable to do the stuff that he does. Um, does a lot to help others. Uh, volunteers down here, a heap as well. Um, so it's not about him becoming a better person. It's just him discovering how loved he is. And be able to do that from a place of the, the overflow of God's love for him. And see him set free. Completely free. Like how good. And yeah, so this, this thing for me of just praying for him regularly, getting God's heart for him. And so the idea behind 2 for 2 for 22 is that we're praying for one person that's not yet a Christian. And we're praying for someone who is. And my personal approach is that I'm praying for the same person. And there's a couple of others that I'll usually pray for but what I find and what I found with the five by five by three six five is it becomes overwhelming sometimes and you end up not doing anything because it's too much but if you've got one person that you're praying for regularly and that's your commitment and you get to the end of praying for that one person and it's like oh I'm going to now pray for this person and that person that's fine but it's like I'm just committing to this one all right so me and my neighbor that's this year I'm discipling him towards faith. And then next year, 
I'm now discipling one of the dads from footy uh, towards faith. And my neighbor, who's now a Christian, is discipling his partner. If you go to the next slide, I've color-coded it. So you can just see that anyone who's discipled one year comes to faith and then starts discipling someone else the next year. So the 2024. 2024, now I'm discipling one of the dads from tennis. So there's a bit of time in my life where I sit watching my kids play sport. It is a great opportunity in order to witness for Jesus. Um, My neighbor, who I was discipling back this year, um, he is now discipling his neighbor. So neighbor's neighbor, if you get that. This is uh, the 2024 thing. Uh, neighbor's partner who's been discipled by uh, the neighbor previously is now discipling neighbor's partner's friend. Yeah, you with me on this? It's really easy to follow, isn't it? And then the footy dad who I was discipling the previous year is now discipling his uncle. I call him footy dad's uncle. All right, the next year, 2025. Now uncle, and then uh, the neighbor is now onto his son um, and you keep going down. We go to 2026. All right, so 2026, a few of my favourites. So go down a few lines. So neighbour's partner, uh, neighbour's partner's former drinking buddy, um, neighbour's partner's cousin, neighbour's partner's cousin's former drug dealer. That's pretty exciting. Next one down, footy dad is discipling footy dad's former ex-wife. Do you follow where that leads? Reconciliation within a relationship right there. Amen. Um, Footy dad's golf buddy is discipling my daughter's gymnastics coach, who's also Footy Dad's golf buddy's cousin. It's Adelaide. So it's the loops, you know, it's, it's going around um, and, and it's exciting. And you've got like the reach. Do you see the, the reach that's going on there? Because just below the middle, Tennis Dad's Uber driver, who was discipled the year before, is now discipling the founder of Uber. And then at the bottom, Footy Dad's uncle's barista, Nick likes this one, uh, is discipling Footy Dad's uncle's barista's milk delivery person. It just keeps on going. The flow, the flow continues. So the next slide, for those who just like raw data. So this year, there's two of us, right? This year, there's two of us. When Noah has his 19th birthday in uh, 2041, 1 million... 48,576 people have been discipled, assuming that everyone comes to faith in the year they're being discipled and then always disciples one person per year after that. So that's the whole world 12 years after that. The entire planet using this particular approach. It starts off reasonably slow bit of acceleration though so who wants to be the one person that we're going to start with who's going to be the one do we have any ones i see zero hands i heard a whoop and zero hands (laughs) of course if more than one of us started the increase is even bigger but seriously if if we actually got a hold of this and the thing that's been undoing me is just Like, this neighbor of mine is worth it. He's absolutely worth this investment of time 
and just praying that he would come to know the reality of Jesus' death on his behalf and of Jesus' triumphant resurrection, victory over death, over sin, over Satan, and all that means for him. That he would know that and receive the benefits and walk in that. Bring it on, Lord Jesus. Bring it on. And that we would know it. That we would continually be reminded of these things. So my watch has been telling me that I've um, gone past the time frame I set for myself um, of 12 minutes uh, for just now. I'm joking. Um, We're going to do part two next week. And I want to hit up more on this. Um, I simply want to introduce a term which is a person of peace. And when referring to, to someone who's not yet a Christian, I think it's such a beautifully dignified term, a person of peace, someone that we are seeking to share the gospel with. And I want to give a little more information about it next week, but I want us to be prayerfully considering who is God putting on our heart that we would be praying for for a start, that they would come to know him. And then looking for opportunities, like how can I serve this person? How can I share with this person? It doesn't have to be that we start off, you know, with the four spiritual laws, whatever else, a gospel presentation. But it's just seeking to build relationship, seeking to get to know them and seeking to bless them. So we're going to take a minute now. Um, and Nick, if you wouldn't mind going to the two by two by 22 slide, which is going to involve him changing PowerPoint. So give him a moment. It's, going to, it's not that straightforward. Um, <laughs> but what I want us to do is just spend a moment. Um, if you need a moment because you don't have someone in mind, then take that moment and just prayerfully consider, God, who are you putting on my heart? Um, and I want us to actually pray with, uh, with someone else about this now, uh, that we would take this serious. And, yeah, prayerfully considering, who are you calling me to reach, Lord? Um, and then praying for ourselves that we'd grow in love for them and praying that they would come to know him. So let's take a couple of minutes uh, and we would do that. And then we're going to continue to sing fairly soon. So I'll pray and then I'll get you to chat with the person next to you. Father, thank you for all the things that you have done for us. Thank you for your love for us that is so constant and so pure. Thank you that you are perfect. Thank you that you are altogether lovely. Thank you that you are completely powerful. You are almighty, omnipotent, and you love us. How good that the omnipotent creator of the universe loves me, even me. Thank you that you are here right now by your spirit and you have good things to speak to us. I pray that we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. When we were praying um, praying at 3.20, always welcome to join us uh, for prayer. We pray at 3.20. Um, Rob, when he was praying, was praying into... Uh, just hearing God's voice and praying that whatever, you know, time, whatever way that we would hear his voice. And as he was praying that, it just hit home just how easy it is for us to have a bit of a 
consumeristic mindset when it comes to um, to a church service, um, and you know we end up rating different things. Like we will rate the worship, we will rate the the preaching and stuff like that, rather than coming along expectant that we're going to hear from God and expecting that we're going to meet with Him. But what is even better than coming along and expecting that you're going to hear from God when there's someone out the front preaching from a microphone is that we would be expectant to hear from God at any time, in any place. Because if we limit it to whatever time frame the person's preaching for on that day versus whenever he wants to speak to us, like we're cheating ourselves, we're cheating others, we're cheating him. Like, let's have an expectancy that God will speak and let's expect now as we're talking to one another, as we're praying with one another, expectancy that God will speak. Let's have an expectancy that God will speak as we have dinner a little bit later. Let's just have that expectation. So Lord, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So have a chat. Praying for two people for two minutes every day for 2022. That's what we're asking you to do. Um, and do something like setting an alarm, put it in your calendar. What, what is going to help you to do that regularly, set it as part of your routine? Um, and we're basically doing one part of that now, which is praying for someone who's not yet a believer, person of peace. Let's do it.